Toward the end of his life, John Adams wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson. And part of the letter, he said, My friend, you and I have lived in serious times. An article I read yesterday quoted this and made the following observation. Adams, Jefferson, and the other founding fathers led led serious lives. Had they not, the course of history would have taken an altogether different turn. The author then made the following application. Serious times met with serious lives. This is the anvil in which history is forged. More importantly, it is the means by which the kingdom of God is advanced and the life of a Christ follower is measured. Paul Helm rightly notes that according to Scripture, the whole of a person's life is fundamentally serious. Something for which he is responsible before God and for which he will have to give an account. He is individually responsible to God for what he makes of it. As we look at the world around us, it seems clear we are living in serious times. Yet at the same time, honesty would compel us to admit that we as disciples of Jesus are not necessarily living serious lives. C.S. Lewis said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. The American Evangelical Church has largely lived indulgent lives as though we were at peace when we should have been living disciplined lives because we are at war. And sadly, even when we do go to war, we've often fought the wrong battles. And the time has come for us as disciples of Jesus to live serious lives. So for our prayer service tonight, we are going to to look at a passage of Scripture and, and pray based off of that to live serious lives. If you haven't already, open your Bible to Ephesians 5. We're going to start in verse 15. Uh, It should be page 897 in your pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 5 and 15. So then, be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The title of the message tonight is Praying to Live Serious Lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Lord, help us tonight as we come to this passage that we would, well, that we would take it seriously. What it says, we would let it challenge us and convict us in the ways that it should. And Father, the Holy Spirit would come and He would use Your Word to search us and test us to see if there's anything in our lives that's not as it ought to be. Strengthen us, Father, that we would live serious lives and we would do it the way that we ought to do. Lord, time is short. Much is going on in the world that seems bad. The great need, the great hope, is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. And as His disciples and as parts of His church, it is incumbent upon us to do all that we can to go out into the highways and the hedges and impress upon people the need for the Lord Jesus Christ, the urgency of the hour. 
Let what we talk about tonight weigh on us as it should. Let it encourage us as it should. Let it strengthen us as it should. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now in verses 1 through 14, the Apostle Paul talks about the need of the church of Jesus Christ to, to wake up so the light the life of Jesus would flow through them. This was important because the world around them was spiritually dark and spiritually dead. And what the dark and dead world needed was the light and life that flows from Jesus through His church. And we in the modern church, we seem to have forgotten at times what disciples before us knew and lived. That is how we as disciples of Jesus live and our daily lives is crucial to the mission of of Jesus and the welfare in many ways of our society. As disciples of Jesus, we have been sent into the world just as the Lord Jesus was sent into the world. We are meant to be salt, to have a righteous influence on the world around us. And we are meant to be light, to have a righteous testimony before the world around us. This means what we do or what we don't do matters. In many ways, we either contribute to society and make the world a better place by spreading the light and the life of Jesus. Or we contribute to the deterioration of a society by withholding the light and the life of Jesus from people who desperately need it. We either proclaim the message of Jesus with our lives and with our voices. Or we withhold the message of Jesus with our inaction and with our silence. This is why we, as Paul is building here, we must be wise and careful in how we live. This is the point that's being made in verses 15 through 17. We are told to be, in verse 15, to be be careful how we walk. Now the word for careful, the Greek word for careful, it, it carries with it the idea of precision and accuracy. And it being paired with the word walk in the verse... Picture someone who is being careful and deliberate about every step they make. To kind of get an idea of of the the picture of being precise and accurate, careful in our steps, imagine for a second you're a soldier. And you've been tasked with crossing a field. And what you know about this field is it's possible there are mines buried and hidden in the field. Not only are there mines buried and hidden in the field, there are likely enemies hidden along the field as well. And given the opportunity, they will snipe you or they will jump out and they will kill you. And yet you've still got to cross the field. And as you cross the field, you've got to watch where you step because if you step on a mine, boom, you're done. But you can't just look at the ground. You've got to look around because there could be a bad guy hiding behind a tree. And then if he jumps out and you're not prepared, well, boom, you're done there too. Think about how carefully you'd be as you looked around for enemies behind every tree. Think about how how deliberately you would be with every step you took. Think about how serious you would be about what was going on in your life at that particular moment. In many ways, this is a picture of how we as disciples of Jesus are to to live our lives. This is a, a deliberate way of living and it requires us to live serious lives. 
And what we see in verses 15 through 17 are four ways to pray so we can live deliberate and serious lives. First, pray for wisdom. Look again at verse 15. So then be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So we're we're not to live as unwise, but to be wise. Now, the Greek word translated as unwise could also be translated as as fool. So to put it in a in a proverbial type form, live wisely, not foolishly. Now, in, in God's word to live foolishly is to live carelessly. It is to live thoughtlessly. Now, a foolish person takes no thought or concern for the way they live their lives. A foolish person takes no thought or concern for their speech. Right? Foolish people speak without thinking. Foolish people aren't careful and deliberate in their thought life. They take no thought or concern for what they're thinking on at any given moment. Foolish people take no thought or concern for their morals. They're not thoughtful about the kind of morality they ought to have in light of who God is and what God has said. Foolish people take no thought or concern for their priorities. They just sort of drift through life with no real focus on where they're going or what they're doing. Foolish people take no thought or concern for their actions. They don't really worry about the consequences of what they're doing. They just sort of do what feels good or what they enjoy doing at the moment. Foolish person takes no thought or concern for their reactions. Foolish people tend to react more instinctively than thoughtfully. And when we look in God's word, in the Proverbs particularly... We see there is always a difference. There is a contrast often made between a wise person and a foolish person. Let me show you just a few examples of this. A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent person conceals dishonor. Right? So in this case, the anger is at somebody doing something to them. So they feel slighted. They feel dishonored. And when they do, the fool immediately lashes back. But the wise, the prudent, they kind of let things go for the moment and they keep things under control. A prudent person acts with knowledge, but fools display foolishness. So wise people or prudent are careful about choosing their actions. They think and then they act. Not so with foolish people. Not only do they not think and act, they, they display their foolishness. They're not only rash in their actions, but they may often brag about the fact they don't think about the consequences. They just sort of act. A, a prudent person sees evil and then hides himself, but the naive or the foolish proceed and pay the penalty. The wise person sees the path they're on and, and looks down the road, as it were, to see... What's the destination? If I keep going like I am, where am I going to end up in a week, a month, a year, five years or ten years? And then if the the end of that destination isn't good, the prudent person takes action, makes changes. Not so with the foolish. They continue to press forward on the same path, just assuming 
everything will work out. To to put it in a, a simplistic illustration, the prudent person is driving down the road at 70 miles an hour and they see a tree falling across the road. And so they slow down and they don't hit the tree. The naive person presses on at 70 miles an hour, assuming by the time they get there, the tree will be out of the way. And when it's not, they pay the penalty. That's the picture of the of the, the proverb there. I use the King James here because I like the phrase, uttereth all his mind. But a fool uttereth all his mind. But a wise man keeps it in till afterward. Now this is, I, I like it because... Probably the King James is the only one that really captures the fullness of what the phrase means. Because the idea of uttereth all his mind, it, it, it is in the context of some sort of an emotional outburst. right? So it doesn't have to necessarily be anger, though some translations will put it as anger. It doesn't have to necessarily be in sadness, though some translations will put it in sadness. The, the picture overall is that... Whatever sort of an emotional outburst the fool wants to have, they have it. It could be anger. It could be they're at Walmart and there's 12 people in line with 20 items and a 10 item or less line. And so the fool gives full vent to his anger and he he just lays it all out there. Right? They just have this emotional outburst whenever they feel like it. But the wise person, they keep it under control. Doesn't mean they don't get angry. They don't have the whatever the other emotional outburst may be. They they feel it, but they control it, and then they release the emotions at appropriate times, in appropriate places, and in appropriate ways. Fools just sort of go with the flow. They're driven by circumstances. They're driven by their emotions. They're reactive rather than thinking. Disciples of Jesus aren't to live life foolishly. Foolish people are not deliberate about the way they live their lives, but disciples of Jesus should be. To live a serious life requires us to live deliberate lives. And then to live deliberate lives, we need wisdom from God. So what we're going to do, since this is our monthly prayer service, we're going to take just a moment or two right now and and pray for God to give us his wisdom so that we can live deliberate and serious lives. Just take a moment and, and pray. Father, we come tonight and, Lord, we want to be wise and not foolish. Our culture is foolish. Our culture exalts foolishness. Much of what we just looked at that your word said was foolishness, our culture would call courage. Our culture would call a person who just speaks their mind. Our culture would would call it being open and just this is who I am. Our, Our culture would make all manner of excuses. For what your word explicitly calls foolishness. So Lord Jesus, help us not to follow our culture, but to follow you.
Father, give us wisdom. Your word says that if we lack wisdom, we can come to you and you will give it generously and that you will give it without rebuke. So make us wise and let us live in light of your wisdom and not emulate the culture's foolishness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Not only do we need to pray for wisdom so we can live a serious life, we need to pray to make the most of our time. Look at verse 16. Make the most, making the most of your time. Every day we are giving 86,400 seconds to spend. And every day we spend every single one of those seconds. And it may be simplistic to say we either invest them or we waste them, but that is largely true. We will either use those seconds to do something significant, something that matters, or we will use those seconds and fritter them away. And what God's Word is calling on us to do here is to invest them, to be deliberate about the seconds we're given every single day. Living seriously requires us to take this command, well, seriously. To make the most the time we have. Because the reality is we only get one chance at life to make it count for eternity. Great verse from Acts, it says about David, David after he had served God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried, and he underwent decay. So David served God's purpose. He did what God wanted him to do. But notice, he only could do it in his generation. David couldn't serve God's purpose in the generation before him. And David couldn't serve God's purpose in the generation after him. He had that one life that he could live, that one generation that he would exist, and there he could live to serve God's purpose. And once he had served according to his life, he fell asleep, he was buried, and he decayed. David had a very specific and limited time frame where he could make his life count for God. And once that time was passed, it was was over. And what was true for David is true for us. The poem that I like, it says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's a true statement. If we want to make our life count for Jesus... We have to do it now. Now, with this, let me. I want to be careful with this. Because for me, as an example, I have a lot of regret about the time I haven't served Jesus. I have frittered a lot of seconds away. At 51, I'm not necessarily old and broke down. But there are things I can't do now that I could have done in my 20s that I didn't do. And those days aren't coming back. That there's no opportunity to go back to those younger days and be wiser and redeem the time more then. 
The reality is I can't even go back to yesterday. Not only can I not go back 30 years, I can't even go back and do yesterday different. Right? And so we we don't want to get caught up in regret and think all of the time we've wasted. We've all wasted time. No one in here has redeemed every second for the glory of God, every moment of their life up until this moment. So we can't get all bent out of shape over what we haven't done because there's no do-overs. Instead, we can say from this moment on, I'm going to redeem the time. From this moment on, I'm going to make the most of my seconds. Because what any of us can do is we can we can put off using our moments for Jesus until some later date. And and we all do it. I, that's what I did as a as a 20 year old man. I always there has never been a time in my life where I wasn't going to live for Jesus. But it was always going to be after. There were things in the army I wanted to do. I knew Jesus didn't want me to do. But after that, I was going to live for Jesus. But then after that, there were, there were other things I was going to do as a, in a college student that I was pretty sure I, I, I probably wasn't supposed to do. But So after that, I would. But even when it wasn't sinful things. As a college student, I was pretty busy. Job, had a girlfriend, I had full-time college. I was going to, after life settled down, I was going to. And I wasted a lot of seconds going to say after this or or after that. And, And it's not just young people that do it. We, people our age, tend to do that as well. Right now, life is busy. I will get more more focused After life calms down. But I don't think life calms down. I think when it amps up to a new level of busyness, it just stays there. That becomes the new normal. Life stays busy till you die. And so if we're waiting on after this, I'll start making the most of my time. That will never come. We're going to get to the end of our lives. And we're going to regret The moments that we spent doing things that had no value whatsoever. When I was a hospice chaplain, I visited with a lady who had, she had been a pastor in a different denomination, obviously not a free will Baptist. She had spent 30 years as a pastor. And on her deathbed, she remembered the things she had done for Jesus. She did not remember the other stuff. She didn't lay there on her deathbed and say, wished I'd watch more TV. Wish I'd doom scrolled on Facebook more. She didn't remember the funny videos and the funny movies and all of the stuff like that she had done. She remembered the people she had shared the gospel with, the people she had ministered to, the things God had done in the churches that she pastored. She lived a long, full life truly was impressive for me when I'm on that place on my deathbed if that's how the Lord lets me go out laying in a hospice bed I pray I pray in that moment what I remember are not all the Facebook reels I watched not all the TV I set and ingested not all the silliness I did 
the ways I served my Lord. That I made my moments count right up until the point where I couldn't make them count any longer. How much of what we do on a regular basis has eternal value? How much of what we do on a regular basis will matter in five or ten years? This is something Jesus has really been pressing on me about recently. To live serious lives, we must make the most of our time. Whatever time we have, whether we're young, whether we're older, whether we're somewhere in between, we have time, we have ability, we have moments that are left. To live seriously, we must make the most of them. So let's take a moment now and let's pray for God to strengthen us to make the most of our time so we can live serious lives. Oh, God, forgive me for the moments I've wasted. Not just the moments I've wasted years and years ago, the moments I've wasted this week, the moments I've wasted today. Father, guide us to, to take this seriously. make our lives count, to make the most of every, every moment, to spend our lives, the moments of our lives for your glory, accomplishing your will, so that it can be said of us that we served you in our generation, and then we died. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So not only do we need to pray for wisdom, pray to make the most of our time, we need to pray to recognize the times we're in. Look again at verse 16. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. We make the most of our time because the days are evil. The evil in the world is always before us. Whatever news we watch reminding us of evil, both small and great, all around us. Today a friend sent me a, an article. Uh, apparently over the weekend there was a shooting at a high school football game in Oklahoma. They arrested the 15-year-old young man who shot and killed, I think, at least two people. Evil in the world is pretty great. It's always on display all around us. The task for us as disciples of the Lord Jesus is not just to be aware of this, but to let this awareness motivate us to make the most of our time so that we can do the will of God every day of our lives. In the opening, I talked about the need that Jefferson and Adams live serious lives in serious times. 
we live in serious times just as they did. And if we want to be able to to stand, if we want to be able to make a difference, we must live serious lives as well. From what I understand of God's word, the serious times we're in aren't going to get any better. It's just going to get worse the closer we get to the day of the Lord. I want to show you this. We're going to go quickly, but turn to 2 Timothy 3. should be page 915 in the Pew Bible. And and look at verse 1. But realize this. In the last days, difficult times will come. The last days will be Difficult times. Why will they be difficult times? Well, look at verse 2. Because people will be lovers of self. They will love themselves more than they love God. People will be lovers of money. They will love money more than they love God. People will be boastful. They will be so puffed up with pride and arrogance... They don't see a need for God or feel or they will feel they are too smart to believe in God. People will be slanderers. Now, slanderers often refers to slandering people. But in this context, it does seem to refer to blaspheming God. Last days will be difficult because people will go out of their way to to blaspheme, to say wrong, hateful, terrible things about our God. People will be disobedient to parents. Isn't it interesting how often that shows up in lists like this? But in a big way, what this means is they will reject God-ordained authority. People will be ungrateful. They won't be grateful, thankful for anything. Instead, they will kind of just see everything that they have as an entitlement that they absolutely deserve and that really... For being honest, they just deserve more. People will be unholy. And the idea seems to be they will be shameless about their sin against God. Verse 3, people will be unloving. They won't love God and they won't love others. It pictures a heartless society devoid of natural affection for anyone or anything. People will be irreconcilable. They will be unforgiving. It's a world in which if you make a mistake, you're done. There's no coming back from it. If you do the wrong thing in the wrong place at the wrong time, you are forever done. No forgiveness. Even Even if you were 10 years old and you did the wrong thing, 30 years later, someone finds out about it and takes it public. Your life can be over because there's no forgiveness for what you did. People will be malicious gossips. 
In the end, it'll be a time when it will be okay to say anything you want about anyone you don't like. It doesn't have to be true. It just has to be somebody you don't like and you can say any sort of hateful or awful thing about them you want to. People will be without self-control. Instead of exercising self-control, they will just do whatever they want to do and they will find ways to excuse it. Largely, the lack of self-control will be seen in lust and anger. They'll be violent in their anger, but there's a reason for it. They will be uncontrollable in their lusts, but there will be reasons why their lust is okay. People will be brutal. Now, this is interesting because the, the Greek word used typically refers to a savage beast that cannot be restrained from its fierceness. And one of my commentaries said... This word should refer to wild jackals, but never humans. But in the last days, that's how people will be. The brutality won't just be in the fact murders are committed. The brutality will also be in the way the murders are committed. The brutality will also be in the way the culture watches and enjoys. The watching of the violence and the brutality. People will be haters of good. It refers to good people and good things. Going back to the book of Isaiah, they will call what is evil good and they will call what is good evil. Verse 4, people will be treacherous. And it pictures a, a betrayal of any sort of a trust or commitment made. In other words, the days of my word is my bond, gone. If there is any way at any time to get out of their word, to do other than what they said they would, they will. People will be reckless. Pictures a person who is given to doing whatever they want to do without any regard to the consequences these actions may have on themselves or others. We, we've seen that in, and even in our community recently, haven't we, in some of the things that have happened among the youth of our community? Recklessness. People will be conceited. Picture someone so full of themselves they see no need for God or anyone else. They, they feel they are totally self-sufficient, they're better than others, And they really don't need anyone or anything. People exist to serve them. They don't really serve others. People will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Perhaps what this means is that they will not be able to imagine a God who would care about them fulfilling their lusts and passions in any way they want to fulfill them. And if such a God did exist... And that God would have no place in their life and would not be worthy of worshiping. In many ways, what it's saying is their pleasures are their gods. Then look at verse five. Holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power. Avoid such people as these. Interesting. In the last days. There will still be churches. 
However, these churches, many of them, will only have an outward appearance of godliness. So they may speak about God. They may speak about Jesus. But the idea of denying its power means they deny the power of Jesus to save and sanctify people. In other words, the the Jesus of, of these churches, he doesn't save people out of their sin. He sanctifies their sin. He condones their sin. He tells them their sin is okay. Jesus would never want them to change. They have a form of godliness. They probably sing many of the same songs we would sing tonight. But the Jesus they believe in, the Jesus they preach, does not save people out of their sin. He does not sanctify them in this life. He just pats them on the back and says, you're good to go. The power, the centrality of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus will be totally lost in such Churches. Now, does any of this seem familiar? Have you ever heard of things like this in our day? And we would all, of course, know that what's described here is somewhat characteristic of of all times. These things have always existed. The picture, though, is that in the last days, These things will intensify. The closer it gets to the end, the closer it gets to Christ's return, the more these things will be seen. But not only will they be seen more, they will be more and more accepted. Here's what happens. When when this gets accepted, something saying it's not acceptable is not acceptable. Right? So... When we get to the point to where there are churches that hold a form of godliness but deny the power of Christ to save and sanctify, then to say that Christ saves out of sin and sanctifies from sin, that will become unacceptable. Again, do we see this in our day? Clearly, clearly we do. And while we don't know, go ahead and turn back to Ephesians 5. While we don't know when Jesus will return, we know history is moving toward that day. Which means we're closer to His return today than we were yesterday. And we'll be closer to it tomorrow than we are today. History is always moving forward to the day of the Lord. And as we move closer, evil will intensify. As disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot afford to be naive about the evil of the world around us. We cannot be naive to the times we're living in. Now let me be clear. Recognizing the times we're living in shouldn't make us afraid. Shouldn't make us discouraged. Our Lord conquers. His church wins. We get to be a part of that. Fear and discouragement over the times we're in is a faithless response. It is not the response we should have. Rather, the response we should have is one of taking life seriously. 
Living seriously for the days are evil. Make no mistake, we see all of those things we talked about in Gaiman. Right down to the form of godliness that denies its power. This isn't stuff that's reserved for New York City or Hong Kong or some faraway place. Right here in the heartland. In the reddest county of the reddest state in the United States. All of that exists daily. And we must take life seriously because of it. We should recognize the times. And we should live serious lives. So let's take a moment and pray for God to help us recognize the serious times we're in so we can live serious lives. Father, give us discernment. Lord, to recognize the times we're in. Lord, we don't want to we don't want to go and become those people who are standing on the straight on the street with signs. Repent. The end is near. Jesus is coming this week. We don't know that. But clearly we're closer than we were before. And every day brings us closer still. Everything we saw. Paul wrote about we see commonly in our day all of those things are acceptable in our day about the only thing that's not acceptable is saying those things are not acceptable and so Lord make us wise to recognize the times we're in And let this move us not to fear, not to discouragement, but to make the most of our time. Because the evil of the day is engulfing the culture around us. It's coming for our kids. It's coming for our grandkids. It's coming for our marriages. It's coming for... Our church. We live in serious times, Lord. Enable us to live serious lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So pray for wisdom. Pray to make the most of our time. Pray to recognize the times we're in. And then pray to to know and do God's will. Look at verse 17. Therefore... Because of what we've just talked about, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In many ways, verse 17 is a contrast with verse 15. Rather than being unwise, being foolish, we're to be deliberate about finding and doing God's will. Our highest goal as disciples of Jesus should be to know and do God's will in every area of our lives. 
We never have to wonder, does God want us to do his will? The answer is given all throughout his word. And since God wants us to know and to do his will, he will always show us his will. I'm convinced God wants us to do his will more than we want to do his will many times. Truly, I do not believe finding God's will is as hard to do as we often act like it is. Largely because most of God's will is revealed in God's word. I mean, is it God's will that we would be careful how we live? It is. It's told to us right there. Is it God's will that we would not be unwise people but wise? It is. We're told right there. Is it God's will we make the most of our seconds? It is because we're told right there. Is it God's will that we're to be aware of the times we're in? It is because it's right there. And we could just go through book after book, verse after verse. And if it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, that that be God's will. Do that. And it's that way all throughout. Finding God's will isn't really the hard part. It's doing God's will because we don't often like God's will. God's will goes against our flesh. It goes against our natural inclinations. But make no mistake, it is God's will that we do God's will. To find God's will doesn't require us to spend time buying books on finding the will of God or listening to some goofy podcast or sermon on YouTube about finding God's will. Finding God's will for like, I don't know, I'm going to make up a percentage. 98% of the time. It's just a matter of studying God's word and doing what it says. But if we don't study God's word, we don't know to do what it says. To study God's word, to do God's word requires us to live serious lives. Because what it what it's calling on in verse 17 and in this whole passage, but in verse 17 about knowing and doing the will of God isn't isn't a passive thing. It's a very active thing. One of the common themes in the book of Deuteronomy is is being told some form of be careful to obey God, be careful to keep the law, be careful to obey God's word. I mean, and it's just this constant reminder when you meet, when you read through it, be careful, be diligent. Don't deviate to the left or to the right. It is a constant reminder to take our, our study and our obedience to God's word seriously. We are not to be careless. About our studying and obeying God's word. We are not to be lax. In our studying and obeying God's word. We are not to be casual. About our studying and obeying God's word. 
To know and do God's will, we must study and obey God's word. Are there things that are not explicitly revealed in Scripture that are God's will? Sure. Sure, that stuff comes up. But the vast majority is in here. The issue isn't God isn't speaking. The issue is we're not going to where God's speaking from. To live serious lives, we must be careful about knowing and doing God's will. And that requires us to be diligent, to study and obey God's word. Let's take a moment and and pray for God to help us to know and do his will so we can live serious lives. Father, it is not a stretch to say your word in our hands is a miracle from you. Father, you inspired holy men to write down what you wanted us to have. You gave us what we needed for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. So that we could be thoroughly equipped to do all the things you wanted us to do. And from that day to this day, you have preserved your word from every attack of the enemy. It hasn't been destroyed. It hasn't been lost. It's not lost in translation. We don't have to learn Greek and Hebrew to to realize what it says. You have enabled us to live in a time. There are. Brilliant and godly scholars. Who get together in teams and study. To translate the Bible into a language we can understand. And the fact that it is pure and here for us today, it is a sign of the greatness and the power of the God who inspired it. Let us cherish your word. Let us treasure your word. And let us study your word. In serious times, we must live serious lives. And Lord, we cannot do that without knowing and doing your will. Draw us to the word. Speak to us through it. Lead us along the path for our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And nothing we've talked about tonight would make any sense apart from Jesus and his gospel. Jesus lived a serious life. 
in serious times. And he calls on his disciples to follow his example. I mean, think about how Jesus lived. He lived with, you could say, an unparalleled sense of purpose. Every step he took, every word he spoke, every miracle he performed was done in wisdom. Made the most of his three and a half short years of ministry. Recognized the times in which he lived and was done in complete fulfillment to the Father's will. And everything he said and everything he did was leading him to the cross where he would die for our sins and rise three days later. This gospel is the foundation of our faith. The gospel should propel us to live seriously. It's important to understand we don't live seriously like this to earn our salvation. Living seriously is about responding to what God has done in us and through us and for us because of Jesus. When we understand fully what Jesus has done for us on the cross, Living seriously in serious devotion to him becomes the most logical thing we could do. Further good news is we don't have to do this in our own strength and power. When we got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live within us. And he enables us to do everything God wants us to do. God's word tells us Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom. Who leads us. Who reveals the deep things of God to us. And reminds us of what Jesus has said. The same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Lives in us and equips us. To do everything God wants us to do. Including. Living a serious life. What we've talked about tonight is hard. But because of what Jesus has done and because of the spirit who lives within us, every one of us can do it. It's not a matter of I can't. It is a matter of I won't. Let's take time and take prayer requests now.